good to know that in heaven we won't be sweating. Or I shouldn't have worn the jacket. I never do. <laughs> All right, let's do one more. You should be from creation. Sing forever within your hand. Forever within your hand. You spoke a lot into motion. My soul now is still. And you stood before my failure. You stood before my failure. Carried the cross for my shame. Sin went upon your shoulder. My soul now is Sing so what can you say?
God. Stand here and lift our hands and worship you, Lord, when we're so undeserving, God. I just love you and I just pray that you just bless this time, God, as we dive into your word. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. you do a good job. We're going to rope, we're going to rope some of you all in just for the fun of it. <laughs> Anyways, I am up here early tonight because I am going to introduce you to someone. Um, we have a surprise tonight actually for you. And um, when we wrote the curriculum, it was not an I, it was a we. And Noreen Mascarella was um, a big part of helping me get into the emotional side and the, and the the mental thoughts and ways that all of that went together. And she is a, a marriage and family therapist. She's a mom. She's a grandma. She's a pastor. She um, runs a recovery ministry here at church. And she's an amazing woman. But most of all, to me, she's one of my closest friends. And so you're going to be blessed tonight by her. She's going to come and share with you tonight from her pool of understanding and wisdom that I don't have. So would you please welcome with me, Noreen. have her come up here and you know what it is good that God has worked in my life over the last several several years that I have a healthy sense of who I am because I was following her in Cap come up Natalia where are you I was following uh, I was walking behind um, Catherine and Natalia and I guess Natalia found out that Catherine wasn't teaching tonight and you know what I heard her say then what am I here for 
today is her birthday. Dish it out. No, you can take it. Sure, I'll just take it and dish it out. Anyway, we're going to have her start out because she's so beautiful and singing. We love singing. I do the Christmas song. Okay, so come on in here. Start us out. <laughs> start us out. Pose me off here. I saw her up there playing. I don't know about you, but it's hot in here, right? I mean, I'm not the only one, right? Okay. Just like, oh, man, look at that girl. She's got a sweatshirt on, too. Boy, must be nice to be young. Anyway, my name is Marie, and I'm going to introduce myself the way I do it every Friday night because I really love this, and so I'm going to announce my name, and you guys can say, yes. Hi, you guys. My name is Maureen, and I'm a grateful believer who God has done a miracle in my life. Thank you. I love that. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about last week's homework because you may not have gotten to it, but that's okay because you'll have time to do it this week. But um, there was homework in your, uh, there's always homework in your book. If you look at the really small print down at the bottom, it says homework. Now, how many of you were pretty good in school? And always did your homework. Did you do it this time? Okay. Anyway, um, if I remember correctly, there were two. I don't have my book up here, but one of them was, if you haven't done it, that's fine. I want you to do it this week, though. And on um, one of the pages, I think it's before this lesson, there's a page that says, what are the negative and positive characteristics of my mother? What are the negative, po uh, positive characteristics of my father? Okay. And now, when you turn the page, this is when you really need to be honest. When you really need to ask yourself, what do I really believe are the characteristics of my father? Not the Sunday school answer, not the right thing, but what do I really know? Because sometimes it's a million miles away from what we know in our head and what we know in our heart. And so many times, we have such a distorted view of who God is. And I'm going to be talking about tonight about the mother wound. And then some of you might leave here very disheartened. Please come back next week um, because I'm going to leave you hanging, um, you know, wanting some more. Next week I'm going to talk about how we go and heal that mother wound. And then in a couple of weeks I'm going to talk about the father wound and how we're going to heal that. And in between, Catherine's going to be talking about how do we start to find safe people in our life because part of our healing comes in safe people. But we have a lot of distorted views about who God is. And if you really do that homework and you really commit it to just really prayer and honesty, it will begin to help you to understand. Because one of the things you're going to hear me say over and over and over again, not on the outline, but write it down or commit it to memory, you cannot change what you do not know. You cannot change what you continue to know. So part of us exploring the things about our mom or our dad it's because we want to understand what it is that we really believe. And then we can challenge that and ask ourselves, is that a distorted belief? Because if I don't know that or I continue to deny it, I can't change it. How can I change something if I don't even know about it? How many of you uh, are moms in here? How many are moms? Okay, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. 
How many of you um, still have children at home? How many of you still have children, let's say, 16 and under? Okay. How many have elementary school kids? How many of you have toddlers, babies, infants? Good. Okay. We're good. Now, how many of you, if you're not a mom in here, how many of you had a mom? Every hand should be up unless, you know, you were hatched or something. But there is a mom somewhere. And sometimes when we think of the word mother or mom or mommy, we have to ask ourselves, what do we really think of? Now, for, for many people, it's trust and nurture, love, cookies, touching, you know. But for others, it's not. And God's plan and God's design is that he gave us parents. That was his plan. That might not be your plan, and that certainly is her adolescent's plan, but that was God's plan. And the reason for that is that our parents were going to be the very first experience that we have of who God loves us. Now, Christ came in the form of humanity so that we would really understand the character of God. But until God has an imprint on mom and dad, we've got experience. Now, if we had a great experience, then um, we don't have the difficulty in, in our um, spiritual life as much. And the reason I want to spend time on this is because these wounds interfere with our spirituality. They interfere with the idea of how intimate we can really be with God. Because some of those wounds that we don't look at keep scratching themselves up. Not only in relationship with one another, but our relationship with God. And so um, we need to really understand that there was a purpose. Now, it didn't always go the way that God designed, just like everything else. But when you first brought that baby home, that baby truly, even though it's out now outside of you, does not distinguish you from him. That baby is narcissistic, egocentric, and they think you and mommy are one, right? And then pretty soon, the baby around about four or five months begins to realize, you know, we're separate. I'm not mommy. Now, I don't know who I am yet, but I'm not mommy. And, you know, as I was, I told a couple people this, as I was really looking over this stuff, I got really bummed, I'll tell you that, because, you know, as moms, we only have very precious time that our pile is truly, truly just ours. In utero, until about the age of four months. And from that point on, that child's whole job is to leave and separate from us. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I don't really think that's very fair. I mean, you know, we carry them, we deliver them, and all that labor pain that we keep bringing up to our children when we try to birth them, okay? But their job is to leave us. And I struggle with that. I'm, like I said, I'm a mother. I have two uh, grown children and two grown bonus children, and uh, I have loved every stage, and now I'm a grandma, and I love every stage, but uh, the job is to relinquish and let them go. Now, when a child um, is screaming out for mom, it's mom's job to meet the needs of that child, because the child begins to learn trust, and in so uh, Psalm 22, it says, you have brought me out of the womb. You made me trust you even at my mother's breast. That was God's design. Our mothers would meet our needs. We would learn to trust. And therefore, it wouldn't be so hard for us later on in life, maybe, 
picked up sheep. If our moms came. Now, the problem is, is wonder if our moms didn't come. Now, I'm not saying that every time your child cried, you were there. But did mom come enough? There's lots of controversial whether you can swear a child or not. I don't believe you can really swear a child under the age of six months. But if mom didn't come, or if mom isn't loving, or if mom didn't do one of these, there's only two things as an infant. Now, this is all subconscious, right? Because, you know, they don't have intellect like that. But do we think that, you know what, I'm going to be bad. If mom's not meeting my needs, I must be bad. Or my need must be bad. And so I either go through life thinking that I'm bad or that it's not okay to have any needs. A child will not and cannot look at the mother or the father as less than perfect. And so they cannot look at the father or the mother and say, you know what, I know that if they didn't have a lot of things going on in their life and they weren't so wounded, they would be available to be with me. It's not until later in life are we able to put a cognition that says, hmm, my parent was either incapable or unwilling. But as a child, you do not experience it that way. And so tonight I want to talk about six types of mothers that create a mother wound. And this is not pick on mom, okay? Um, but it's to understand. Now, if you are a mother and you have children, as we're looking at our mother wound, remember that you're standing in the middle of the road. You have a mother, but you are a mother. So as much grace as you want your children to have with you, you need to have with your mom. You understand? Now, part of the homework that I that was last week, we've got the positive and negative characteristics of mom. How many of you are sitting next to your mom? Really? Raise your hands. I want to know. Abram, where's Jeanette? Jeanette, where are you? Where's your daughter? There you are. Okay. Did you do your homework, Jeanette? Anyway, I'm going to be watching. None of this, okay? If you're sitting, if your daughter's sitting next to the mom, none of this. And uh, I had given my friend Jeanette, I said, you know what? Tell your daughter Christy she doesn't have to do that. Tell her that you'll email her the right answer of the negative and positive characteristics of who she was. Okay? But this is about what I needed versus what I got. And the first kind of mom, the need number one that the child has, and this is kind of like in chronological order as the child gets older, but the very first basic thing is the need for attachment versus the phantom mom. A child needs attachment. They need that connection. They need, they need this the very first hours and months of their life and forever, really. But if mom's not there, then um, they go along and just to be safe. And there's five basic needs that every child needs. And certainly it's to be attached and connected. But also, and this is not on your outline and stuff, but a child has a basic need for safety. They don't have that. They're not born with that. Their mother, over many, many times of, of meeting their needs and keeping them safe, then the child begins to internalize that and understand, oh, okay, my world is safe. Years ago I used to work at, um, as a nurse in pediatrics, uh, as a student, actually. And how many of you have heard the term failure to thrive? Failure to thrive. And, okay, failure to thrive is when a child is not getting the connection or attachment that they need. And they will literally die. And God knows we need that. We need that. 
and so and we need safety and then how many of you look at me there and, and they just fly and boy <laughs> the sheer terror they just have sheer terror because their world is not safe they don't know that yet and also the uh, next uh, need that they absolutely have to have is nurture nurture which is just it's like water to their soul it's spiritual to say just like just like the sunshine water for plants to grow we need to be nurtured and cared for um Webster says it's to feed or to nourish. And that's just for mom to be there to take care of. Third is basic trust. We need to know that um, my mom is going to come when I cry, three months at a time, three months at a time. She's going to keep me safe. And I begin to cultivate this trust. And fourth is belonging and connection. Every child needs to know they belong and they're connected. And we all need to know we belong to something outside of ourselves. We belong to something greater than us. And we can feel connected in that. Um, Ephesians says, rooted and grounded in love. Many of us walk through life never knowing what that is, to be rooted and grounded in love. And the last one, number five, someone to love. You know, just as it's the mom's job to love the child, the child really essentially loves the mom. The mom is the object of the child's love. Now, if you have little tiny ones, how many of them have a blanket? or a doll, or a puppy. It's just, well, this is the object of their love. They are learning also to love. As they are loved, they're loving. And so they do that by loving an object. The object might be mom, hopefully it is, but it's also their blanket. So when they cry and tear because they left the blanket at the store, you know what? You have to call 911 to get it because they have to have that. And there's signs and symptoms if, if, uh, if that attachment is not there in early beginnings. In Jeremiah it says, my people are broken, shattered, and they put on band-aids saying, it's not so bad. We'll be fine. But things are not just fine. So many times we can look at it and say, you know what? No big deal. No big deal. I survived. There's nothing wrong with me. And so really, that's called denial. And we really want to look at the woundedness in our lives and what we can change. The long-term wound for the um, phantom mom is that we're emotionally detached. You feel you can depend, let me see that one, that one. You can feel you can depend only on yourself for safety and security. Your relationships are shallow. You never really go very deep if you have any relationships at all. Or you tend to stay in abusive relationships because to be alone is more fearful than to stay in an abusive relationship. Um, or you over-evaluate relationships. You look for one person that's going to transform your life, your emptiness into just wonderfulness. And you put all that on one person. It was never meant to be that way. And there's spiritual implications. Genesis 3.18, the Bible is full of being rooted and grounded. The Bible is full of how people relate to us and we relate to them and how that helps us to relate to God. Genesis 2.18 says, it's not good that man is alone. That is not just a verse about being married. Ecclesiastes says, two are better than one. Why is it the person is passed down when there's no one to pick them up? Woe to the person that their life is falling apart and there's no one to call because they're not attached to anybody. John 15, 4 says, live in me, make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. This is a hard concept. If your injury is in bondage, nothing can happen. Yet it was not. 
hope that many, many years struggling with trying to have a, an intimate relationship with Christ, not just one in my head. I believed it. God went through a lot of stuff and came up with that many negatives spin off that began to open that door for me to have a different relationship with God. Women who did not learn to trust their mother's love have difficulty trusting God. And the response is a good enough mom is just respond. Just You don't have to be perfect. This is not about being a perfect mom. This is just about being good enough. That you answer the call. You're neutral enough. You're there enough. You're not perfect. But it's enough. The second one is containment versus the China doll mom. Um, and, and again, the child needs this in the very first years of life. And this type of mom is just like, she's overwhelmed. She doesn't know how to deal with her own feelings. And so now she has this baby. This baby is just crying, you know, in the crib. And she rushes in, grabs this child, and says, what's wrong with you? I hope you don't cry. And so then she yells at her husband, that, you know, get the child out here. The baby's crying. And so he gets the baby, and the baby needs to have a diaper change. But the mom is so overwhelmed. She just can't even cope. Or when you're toddler, if you have toddlers, you know how frustrated they are and how they like to kind of express that frustration when they can't have what they want. It does not matter. I can have all, my, my grandkids can have toys galore. I could have just, just these two little things on the table I don't want them to touch. Obviously, they're in the middle. And there's my little one trying to eat and scratch because she wants what she cannot have. And we just can't have it. She's frustrated. But this mom can't tolerate that. If the baby starts to scream and cry, get up, get up, you're hurting mommy here, you're making mommy cry. Just be happy, just be happy. Don't see none of this, okay? I'm watching out of the corner of my eye. And the mom is not, you know, if the child wakes up and she has a bad dream, before the child can even begin to explain what's going on, the, the, the mother grabs her, oh my gosh, honey, what's wrong with you? Oh, don't be scared, just be happy. As the child, you know, striving to get breath. And this is not good mothering. This is smothering, okay? Not mothering. But the mom doesn't know how to contain it. What the basic need of a child is at this stage is containment, soothing. And if you have a baby or if you've ever watched a mother that when she takes her crying, screaming baby and begins to rock the child, what happens? The baby calms down. Have you ever thought about how or why that happens? In a sense, what's happening is the mother can contain their feelings that the child cannot at this time. And so in a sense, the mom takes in those feelings and gives the child a sense of calmness. But it's okay. And you can watch this where the child begins to calm down. They lose the panic, and they either fall asleep or wiggle to get away and go do some more. It's because their feelings are contained. Babies, they're black and white. They don't have any middle ground. They either love something or they hate something. They're not just a little anxious. They're in fear and panic. They're not just a little angry. They're rageful. Their their feelings are extreme. And they need to learn over time to cope with that. But as an infant, they can't. And so they need mom to help them contain that. And and if if mom just pushes them away or it's not okay, then what do they do with their feelings? They suppress them. See, God says we are to mourn with those who mourn. Anxiety with those who are in anxiety can be a part of that. That's 
Every time women are, they grow up and they're very different. My youngest is very different. I don't know where I got this wisdom. It was just godly wisdom. I know now why, but I mean, understanding it why, but I would buy her things and I was forever putting them, you know, giving them away. She was the last in line. I used to call her hand-me-down rose, but there was no one to hand them down after her. So I would give away clothes that had the price tag still on them because they were so adorable and they were so cute. So I really learned that, you know what? Tammy just dresses differently than most. And, you know, I really sat and I thought, what, what, what's the big deal for me? The big deal for me is I wanted her to be dressed from here to here, right? I wanted her to be clothed. That was it. So we sat down and we talked, and I didn't care. I really did not tell her that she wanted to do that. That was fine as long as she was dressed in clothes from here to here. Oh, my goodness. That girl has always walked to the beat of a different drum. And I love the fact as a mother watching her with her children. And, uh, no, she, because of that, it's so ingrained in her. All of us just know that, you know, Tammy never looked and needed to have validation from others to be okay like that. Now, in fact, she wanted to be different. And she allows her children, which are three and one. And I have a picture, the, just the next picture. That's my little poppy. She's about 18 months. And then the next one, not the, not the third one, just that one. And then that Scarlet, she's three. When Scarlet was a baby, she didn't. She wants to wear dresses that swirl. If they do not swirl, then she doesn't want to wear them. Now, I didn't make that an issue. She just bought dresses that swirl. And she's really good about getting stains out. Well, Scarlet just started preschool and uh, all by herself. She was mad when her mom went the first time and sat there for an hour because she was supposed to go to school all by herself. And so then the next time, it's like, yes, you're going to go. You're going to go. But she really, all morning long, was saying, by myself, by myself. Yes, honey, by yourself. She goes to school, and it's just like, bye, see ya. And I, the teacher actually felt bad. It was like, you know, because she was just so excited about going. And Tammy thrives at that, that she's independent. And the, the, when she was at the kind of the orientation, they said, now, please dress this kid in tight clothes because they will get dirty, blah, 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 blah. Tammy raises her hand, and she says, well, let me just tell you that my daughter will probably come in wedding dresses and ballerina dresses and Shirley Temple dresses, and I don't care if they get dirty. I mean, she doesn't care. And I really like that because, you know what, so often as mothers, we have a sense of our own feelings in that. What will other people think? Now, there have to be limits and structure, but it's okay to let our child be who they are. Now, Again, limits and structure. Like the other person in the next picture, this is like a wind chime guy. Do you see how many tat I mean, how many things he's got there? Yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about that, okay? I'm just talking about what is the difference about the dress? I remember years ago, a young man was sitting in our church, and he had this hair, hair like this. I'm always amazed. I don't know about you, but I'm just amazed when I see that. It's like, how, how did he do that? How did he get that hair just so? And it was purple. And I thought that was so cool. But you know what? An older person told this young man, I would be ashamed if you were my son. I was horrified when I heard that. He said this in church. What difference does it make? Hair is hair. I mean, his limits and parameters. You know, no tattoos, no white beads, you know. No kissing, none of those things that you go into the gym and you 
look like an alligator, no, you know. But it's okay to be who you are. You don't have to be like me. It's okay to be different. But the problems with this is that um, the mom doesn't want her to be different. She's not okay with her being different and having her own will. Um, we will struggle to have our own will. Or two things will happen. We'll remain broken or we'll be constantly fighting with our mother to assert our will. Um, because the basic needs of the child is to be separate. That's their need, to be separate. Um, they need to know that as an individual, I'm loved. And so many times, um, a parent might say, you know what, it's not okay to be your own person. You being an individual and being different than us is the enemy to us. And we will destroy that. We'll have none of that here. But, but the science is, is that we have, um, and I think we'll come back to the outline of it, uh, long-term consequences is that we have uh, identity problems. We don't know who we are. We don't know what we like. We don't know what our opinions are. We don't know. Because it was never okay for us to be separate. Do you know that we have to be separate? We have to have a separate will and a separate life. When the time comes for us to turn our life and our will over to Christ, we have to have a life and a will to do that. Because God doesn't have done so yet. You have to have a life and a will. And so embrace that in your child. Celebrate it. You know, you don't want to pull your hair out because they're so different. As long as they, they have good parameters, as long as Tyler is dressed from here to here, believe me, I, let, I just would go, oh, my goodness. But she was like a tube, and she would wear these knit dresses, those tight little weird dresses, and these combat boots. Oh, well, that's her. But the problem is, is that this room isn't geared toward our personality because who we are and who God designed us to be is not good enough. It's not good enough. We weren't allowed to express it because of some of the rules. Again, it's all been matters of um, parameters. And if we don't have our own will, we can't turn on. We allow other people to control us, to decide for us, or we'll fear um, intimacy. We won't want to be in a relationship because we'll fear somebody controlling us, or we'll be codependent, or we'll be irresponsible. Because, you know what, it's not my fault. I don't have my own will. And the spiritual problems with this is that if we weren't okay with our parents for us to have our own will, we're afraid of God. We're afraid to turn whatever little life and will we might have over to God. We are so afraid that if I do that, how many of you have ever thought that I just know that if I turn my life and will over to God, he's going to send me to Africa. I know it. He'll send me to Africa. And you know what? If God wants you to go to Africa, he will change your heart first. But we don't know that because we see God as controlling, and controlling means something bad. Controlling means that I lose sight of who I am. It's not okay for me to be me. And so we're so afraid to turn our life and will over to Christ because of that. And many times, if, you've, uh, if your children are growing down and they have been rebellious and they grew up in a Christian home, many times, and hopefully before your lifetime is over, you see them come back to Christ. But they are coming more back to Christ their own self, not God. And that's a beautiful thing when that happens. So if you have a child that you raised and you wanted 
blessings ko nga at sa especially kagaya ng isa ko yan yung kadiskerte ng tao ko sa hangtod like uh, ano anak ko Andy sinong ko si Daniel but after a few expressions you know you can develop in his own identity you can be yourself we sold out on that we sold out on that number four oh the responsibilities of a good enough mom is just to maintain that balance of freedom allow them to be who they are and limits and, and limits I know it's, I'm going to go back to that. I, I deal with a lot of parents of adolescents. So if you have an adolescent or a pre-adolescent, sometimes I'll ask them. They'll have some rules. And it, could be, it, could, it doesn't matter what the rule is. Just say that, I don't know, you have to be home by 11 o'clock on Friday night. You're 15 years old. So I'll ask, this, I'll ask the parent, well, why do you have that rule? I'm not challenging the rule. I'm asking why they have it. Because as a parent, you need to be able to articulate why you have that rule. But if you have rules in your life, think about, hmm, why do, just why do I have that? Well, I don't know. That's the way I was raised. And if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for them. I challenge you now to go back and ask your parent. Why did, why did we have that rule? Because nine times out of ten, they said, oh, I don't know. That's the way I was raised. It was good enough for me. It was good enough for you. They become like generational roots. Okay? And there you'll find your kids challenging one another. When you know yourself, you can't articulate why you have it. You just know that's the way things are supposed to be done. Why? So I'm not challenging the rule. I'm just giving you to look at and be able to articulate. Do you have a reason why you have that rule? I had a, I had a parent once, and her kids were older, past the age of 18, and uh, she gave them a curfew only because they kept the door open. They would not lock the door when she left, and she was struggling with panic attacks and stuff. So the rule was home by one. You're not home by one. The doors are locked, and I'm not answering. Because her thing was that she wanted to be able to get some sleep. So, of course, of course, her son challenged that. He came home after one. Doors are locked. She, he's knocking. She's not answering. He's just in his car. So the next time, he either got home in time or he went someplace else in the car. But see, for her, it was about getting a good night's sleep, and the child was over the age of 18. So we asked her, so what are Holly's rules? There's nothing wrong with rules. Just understand that you need to know why you have them. Number four, integration versus the trophy mom. And this happens kind of like in the middle years on up, especially when kids are in sports. Our greatest desire in life is we want to be fully known and fully loved in spite of being fully known. We long for somebody to know us through and through. We want somebody to know everything about us. It's easy to share the good stuff. We want other people to see or some people to see all that bad stuff. We want to share that. But we're so afraid of judgment or gossip that we don't want that. And yet we all long to be fully known and fully loved. Um, remember that uh, TV movie Cheers? Why did everyone want to go there? Because everybody knew your name. We all want somebody to know us. You know, we want, we want to be able to share that, but we're so afraid of being ripped. We're so afraid of being authentic. Because if you really knew me, fill in the blank. We want it, but we're so afraid of it. Romans 15, it says, accept one another. This is Romans 15, 7. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. We want people to accept us. The problem with the trophy mom 
is that she's not able to love less than the ideal. You only feel valuable or special or worthy when you are performing and performing well. Because it's not okay to be okay. It's not okay just to be adequate. You have to be better than that. Um, you know, when you go out to lunch with, uh, you see moms going out to lunch, how many times do you see moms uh, talking and bragging about their kids? You know, well, he made varsity or, you know, she uh, made the honor roll. We talk about that all the time. Now, some of that's really good because we're proud of our kids. But sometimes we look at it and we say, oh, that's going to be positive for me. That's going to make me look like a really good person because my kid got an A. We don't hear moms talking about, well, my kids loved me. Oh, my kid's in rehab for the third time now. We don't talk that way. Why? It's because we're so afraid that somebody's going to judge us, and that's going to bring negative to us. You know? And we have to kind of separate that and say, you know what? We're separate. We bring up our children the best that we can. We are not totally responsible for every toilet and soap they ever make, nor are we totally responsible for every great thing they ever do. Although those are things we like to kind of, you know, we like to take glory on that, you know. But the basic need of every child is that we, they want to be accepted in all the areas of their life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. They want to know that mom is still going to love them if they are less than perfect. And if they fail, that mom is not going to withdraw her love or that the child will have to perform more and more and more to get back in mom's good graces. They want to know that they're just love. They're just love. Um, and the reality is Saturday night, we are imperfect. And we strive to be perfect. God knows we strive a whole lot to be perfect. But we are not God. We are imperfect. But we have a hard time sometimes dealing with our own imperfections. I think this is one of the issues, the greatest, that in the spiritual relationship with God. Because we see God very, you know, he looks at us and he evaluates us according to how many trophies we can bring him. And there's something kind of neat to be at the end of yourself and say, you know what, I have some good things about my life. I, I have some good qualities. But I also have some negative things in my life that I need to work on. Because that is being prideful. I am prideful. I'm not God. God is God, and I'm not. Woman is woman, and God is God. And I am powerless sometimes in my life to do things. I love Celebrate Recovery because there's a lot of posts about we can admit that we are powerless. If there's something magical that happens, it's not very magical, it's really a paradox. When I admit that I am powerless, do you know that I actually have more power than I did before I admitted that? Because when I am powerless, I'm now at the end of me. I can't manipulate it, I can't change it, I can't orchestrate it. I'm powerless. But there's only one that has power. I have so much more power than I have to give up. And I just admit I am full and pure, and I will always need God. We have to give up our pride and to seek God. There's so many women in this room tonight, I know, that would love be able to do that, to be whole, to be honest, and to give and share. I have some crazy friends. I really do. I won't name them by name, but I know that some of them are sitting over here, and there's a couple over here. But you know what? I love them. They love me. And sometimes we're messy, and it's okay. It's okay. Ephesians 4 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. 
the problem with Buddha trying something of this kind is that we live life for someone's sake's approval. We are always seeking other people's approval by our performance. We perform for others to get their approval. We only feel love when we are successful or that when we are a trophy for others. That's when we feel love. And when not, we feel shame and guilt for not being perfect in all of our ways. So if we had parents that were able to embrace that about us and it's okay, you know, failure is okay, then we can approach God with that. But if we sit in a place that wasn't okay to fail, we can't even ask the fact that God, the creator of the universe, would love me in my failure. Do you know that it's never a failure? It is never a failure unless you fail to learn. Then it's a failure. I have learned more things from my failures than I ever have in my profession. And I was hugely performance-based and, you know, school and everything. You know, if A was, you know, if I couldn't get an A, then, you know, forget it. I might as well just drop out. I learned more if I missed something on a test than I ever did big bunch of knowledge. It's not a failure to fail to learn from it. But the spiritual problem is, is that we don't believe God could ever love, and this is what I am. We don't believe, really, that God could love us. We say it, and we believe it for others. The thing is that we believe that for other people. We don't have a hard time sometimes believing that for other people. We just have a hard time believing that for ourselves, that, you know what, that I don't have to be a trophy to be okay, to be loved. But that's a proof of the power of love, that the creator of the universe could love me in all of my failures. So we keep trying to be perfect. We keep trying to get God's love in what we do. And it says, you know, if God does love us and we can feel God's love, then we say, well, that's because he doesn't really know how screwed up I am. You know, I kind of think so. Thank you that you got it. Some of you guys get that irony, you know? But we really believe that. Well, if God loves me, then he really doesn't know. Or if he really knew and knows me, he couldn't possibly love me because I am unlovable. The responsibility of the good enough mom is to show that the less than I give is still loved and accepted. There's a difference between acceptance and approval. We get that mixed up a lot. If I don't approve of what you're doing, I withdraw my love. No. You cannot approve of something without withdrawing your love. You still accept them. I remember a friend of mine years ago. She's going to get married to somebody that she really shouldn't have. She knew she shouldn't have, blah, 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 everything. She's going to do it. And I had lunch with her once again. I'm going to tell you how I feel because I've learned that right to speak that right to her. So I want you to know how I feel about that. I think you need to learn how to treat me kind. But I love you. I love you. And whatever you decide, I'll be okay with. See, when we accept somebody, we don't have to approve. Like, again, we can speak that up, too. But my experience, usually, is that when you are not doing something great, people withdraw their love. And so we, of course, believe that God is going to do that also. Number five, adulthood versus still the boss mom. This usually is in about late teens. You know, like sometimes things are from the womb to the tomb. So, but this happens more in adolescence. It's that, you know, the still the boss mom takes, uh, train up a child in the way he should go, oh, to the nth degree. 
they, they take it takes on a whole new level because the sugar box mom is the boss. She knows the way that you should go. She has her own opinions. She has her own values, and she voices them. She's not wishy-washy. You know where she stands. Um, a little girl named Victoria had told her mom that she, you know, she really wanted to be a professional singer. But, of course, the little girl, you know, the mom's uh, Victoria, Susie's a little girl, hence her mom, really wanted to be a professional singer. But unfortunately, Susie was a, the only student in her mom's school, Victoria's school of right thinking, and told her, no, you, no, that's ridiculous. Dad owns his own business, and you know what? We're going to give you a lot of opportunities to do that when you grow up. She said, you're not allowed to have your own thoughts and feelings about anything. They're still the boss. And you know what? It doesn't matter. You could be, you could be 25, 30, 60, and still doing. No, no, no raising your hand and pointing to your mom. But, you know, you could still be doing with mom still bossing you around or trying to boss you around, still trying to tell you what to do. Um, because you know what? When dad said, turn up a child in the way that he should go, that wasn't for mom's job to determine that. That was for Charlie's job to discover that. Because God has a way that that child should go. God has a plan for that child. And it might not be your plan. And so sometimes we have to let go of some things that we want for our kids because maybe God has something better. And the problem with this type of mom is that, you know what, she doesn't want her child ever to challenge her. I said it, therefore, that's it. Now, there's a time and place for that, but when your kids get a little older, pre-adolescent or something, I'm going to give you a concept that some of you might struggle with a little bit, but you know what, it is okay, and it should be necessary that your child challenge you and question you about your decisions and choices. Now, they, do that, they need to do that in a respectful manner. But when you can look at it and say, you know, I need to be okay with that. I need to embrace that. Because I want them to challenge me about something in a respectful manner here at home in the safety of home versus now they're 18 years old, they're out on their own, and they fall apart. I know lots of parents who are going to send their kids to college. If you are still waking up your child when they're a senior in high school and you're still looking over their shoulder whether they've done their homework or not, that child is not going to ha- do well in college. A lot of kids, cra- I've dealt with a lot of college students, they crash and burn. Why? Because they never had any opportunity to make their own choices, their own decisions, and live with the consequences of them. Their last two years of their high school years need to be that training ground where you kind of let them make some of their own decisions, own choices, and suffer the consequences of them. What a concept. Because remember, we're supposed to be taking these children, and our goal is that they're going to separate from us and be happy, productive citizens. But if you're still the boss of them, they're going to fail in college or else. Because the professors don't care if they're good. They don't care. They don't care if they didn't do their homework. They don't care. But this is the kind of mom that says, no matter how old you get, I'll always be your mother, and you'll always be my kid. Okay? And the basic need is for the child to become autonomous to own their own opinions, to have their own values, to struggle through about what is going to be their choices in life. Now, of course, we guide them and discipline them. That's what we do. We train them. We allow them to question and push back. Yeah. Because if we don't let them push back, then they'll commit to a whole lot of abuse as well. 
because they never learned to challenge authority of any kind. And even abusive authority, they will not challenge it because they don't know how. You want them to learn to challenge authority, to have their own identity, to be able to speak up. Now, you know, you can have a rule or just a whip, and you can allow your child to talk and understand everything and not change your mind at all. But they had a, they had a voice now, and they were able to challenge you about it. That's okay. Because, again, you're going to send them out in the world, and you want them to be productive citizens. But the long-term uh, consequence this, of this uh, kill-the-boss mom is that it's an inequality realm, inequality. We have difficulty relating with our peers as equals. When we go out in the world, we'll either be in relationships where we're one up or one down. If we're a one-down position, we'll always be in a relationship where we kind of advocate to everybody else. We're compliant. We don't challenge. We don't speak up. We don't voice our own opinion. And we hierarchize. We want everybody else to kind of take care of us. Or we're one up. We feel superior. Not really, but that's how some of us talk. We want to lead and we want to show the way and it's my way or the highway. You know, don't mess with me. Or another way is we become rebellious altogether. We just become rebellious altogether. And the spiritual problems is that we see God as harsh, judgmental. We don't want to give our life and will over to him because uh, we don't want him to be the boss of us. Because that wasn't ever a good thing. We tend to look at God in very legalistic ways, black and white. We tend to have a lot of theories. We might know a lot of doctrine. And we have a relationship with God in our head. But we really don't know how to challenge it and challenge it properly. Because we don't know how to be real. We don't even know how to be real with God. And God wants us to be real with him. Sometimes, don't you know people that they just know so much of the Bible, but they just have missed the bigger concepts like just love and grace and mercy? The responsibility of a good enough mom is this. And this is the important passage of faith for her. Mom must change along with her child's needs from parenting by control to parenting by influence. So you want your kid to be influenced by you. That has greater lasting power of decision-making process than anything else. Because they're influenced by you. You've allowed them to challenge you. You've allowed them not to be compliant and go through life as the people pleaser. Always afraid to be their own person. The last one, need number six. Functional independence versus the American Express mom. And this is like, we heard the American Express commercial, don't leave home without it. This is like the mom, you can't leave home without her. Okay? Emotionally or whatever. It is not okay for you ever to grow up and totally leave. Now in the Bible it says we to leave so that we can cleave. Do you know that we can't cleave until we leave? This is not just geographical. Matter of fact, it isn't geographical leaving. It is emotional leaving. All the other things have been under kind of the, the um, authority of our mother, which is all good things. It's at this stage that we are going to move out away from and no longer need the mom as a role. I have really enjoyed, as my, my girls got older, to have a whole different relationship with them. As really more of just like friend to son. They're not my best friend. I'm not their best friend. Okay? But we kind of, you know, my youngest daughter and I, she likes, she likes me. She thinks I'm quirky, um, but she likes me. You know? And we had some difficult times when she was growing up in her teenage years, too. But, but I like that for her. She's her own person. And I need to honor and respect that. Mom gives us life, and then we take that life away from her, and we move on. See, moms are special, aren't we? Because we give them life, and then we leave them. 
But the problem with this type of mom is that she's just not okay with how to live. It is not okay. If you want to go to a college and it's out of state, it's like, how could you do that? How can you just leave the two you're going to leave here? You can't do that. Or what do you mean you're not coming home for Christmas? You always come home for Christmas, and you want to go spend with your friends. And, of course, then it's the guilt. See, the guilt is the biggest letdown of all. Look at all I've done for you. Oh, my goodness. 35 years ago, I was in labor with you for 15 hours, and this is how you treat me. Right? Some of you have those moms or mother-in-laws because you weren't able to ever be functionally separate from her. So you can't ever lose home. Now, the good thing is, is that, okay, now I'm going to get there first. I won't give you the good thing until after I do that. Um, the basic need of the child is to become a functional adult. In Galatians 4, it says, what I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, he is subject to guardians and managers until the time set by his father. There comes a time when our parents are the guardian and managers over us. But according to this, we're like a slave, in a sense. We don't come into our own life until we manage our own life. Now, there comes responsibility with managing your own life. If you make some choices and you get into financial difficulty, if you're picking up the phone and asking mom to bail you out for the umpteen time, to the extent that you are still connected to American Express mom, you are still a child. Okay? Because we're supposed to be managers of our own lives. Now, there's always, I mean, there's always exceptions for that, too. But the idea is that we now manage our own lives. We make our own decisions. We make our own choices. And there's a consequence of good and bad about that. But the long-term ruin is we're, if we don't have this, if we have an American Express mom and we cling to her and she clings to us, we won't ever grow up. We don't want to grow up. And we're irresponsible. And we become a permanent child. In all of our relationships, we're a permanent child. But this is the one area where you have the most control to change. This is where you can have control to change. The problem with us in the spiritual realm is that if we haven't grown up and we're not guarding the managers of our own lives, we're always looking to others to feed us. Feed us. I know I go when I hear prayers like this, oh, I think it's fun. I've been a Christian like for umpteenth years, okay? Now, I'm not talking about a new Christian. I'm talking about somebody who's been a Christian for a long time. And you're complaining about not being fed? Doesn't God give us ways to feed ourselves? There's lots of ways to feed ourselves. There's lots of things out there. But we are to be managers of our own lives. We now become managers of our spiritual life. And it's our responsibility to do that stuff. Um, and the responsibility of the good enough mom is basically just to allow her child to grow up and live. I just want to wrap it up with just a few things that some of the problems that we have. And the reason I want to I wanted to talk about them is because once you begin to identify them and begin to say, how is this relating to my relationship with God, really? If you have a longing to have a desire and a relationship with God that you have never had, then maybe asking yourself, how are some of these things creeping in? And some of the symptoms that you can kind of look at sometimes in your life, I mean, I'm just going to give you a few, there's tons of them, but, um, you know, if you're, you're always feeling kind of empty or you're feeling um, like hopeless. Do you know that hopelessness is not about future things? When you feel hope, it's not about things in the future. Hope is because of things in the past. Think about it. See, I can hope for things in the future because of things that happened in the past. 
if I was in pain and I was sensitive enough, then of course I had hope. Sorry, my voice. I was, I had hope that I was sensitive again. If God had given me grace and mercy, or God had just really come through in time for me that I really just couldn't, I needed him to, to you know, to meet my need and keep moving. And he has in the past. I had hope. He can do that in the future. It's about what has happened in the past. Does that make sense? That's a connection thing. I think I'll do that going into 2020. Our, our relational issues is we don't take ownership responsibility of our life or our own choices. Uh, we blame others if we make a mistake. We don't own them. Or we're always looking to have somebody take care of us or for us to take care of them. Or we're in abusive relationships and we're so afraid to get out and we have this fear of intimacy. But the biggest tragedy is the things that happen to us spiritually. We have such a distorted view of God. I do a lesson in the Southern Cape um, in secular fellowship. I talk about a God of your understanding. A God of your understanding. Do you know that it cannot be a God of your understanding? And I'm going to tell you why. Number one is that we have a lot of distorted views about who God is. It cannot be a God of my understanding, necessarily. And I, will, I have to be okay with the fact that I will completely and fully never know God. Because you know what? If I could completely and fully know who God is, he would no longer be God. If in my finite mind I have it all figured out, he is no longer God. I have to be okay and wrestle through the paradoxes of not knowing. It takes a lot of mystery to believe in what he believes in. Never understand it. That's the kingdom of God. And I'll never understand all his ways. But I have to understand what is it that I believe today about him. And I have to get honest with that. And I have to say, what is it that I believe? Do I believe that he's critical and harsh and judgmental and just waiting to zap me or send me to Africa? Or do I believe that he's loving and merciful and that he wants the God of me to be there? Do I believe that? Part of building a kingdom is like, God, do I receive that? Some of us. And I'm going to leave you with just two verses. And one of them is Romans 5. Many of you have heard this over and over again. I just remember the day that I, I read it and just really changed. Something just really bounced off of me. Because you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. But very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Now, I've read that millions of times, but I can remember one time I looked at that and realized that while I was still a sinner, before I even had my act together, because many of you probably think I do have an act together, right, my friends? But anyway, I don't. But before, before I even acknowledged who he was, while I was still in my sinful ways, while I was still out in the world, Christ died for me. While I was still rebellious, Christ died for me. When I was living life and not even giving another thought, he died for me. So if he can die for me in that, don't you expect me to be in line for that? And I remember in Matthew it says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. I said, no, I just don't want to. I love my children. I respect them. You are not loving them. Let us stand and sing.
all for that. There's a lot of things that Noreen touched on tonight that I'm sure at different moments you could relate to or recognize in yourself or maybe in the way you were raised or something like that. And next week we're going to talk about how to heal some of this stuff. And as women, we do a really, really good job of walking out of this type of a topic with a really, really huge burden on our back. And so what we want to do is make sure that you understand these are tools and why are we even covering some of this? Because in order for us to truly be the women that God has called us to be, to find out what it means to 